Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. We're recording on Monday, December 6th. It's Monday. We all know what that means by now. That means Tyler Rucker, aka Backcourt Violation, is joining me to recap the week that was in college basketball, more notably scouting for the 2022 NBA Draft. If you haven't read my morning dunk column by now, I don't know what you're doing. You need to drop what you're doing. Go read that column in preparation for this podcast over on the No Ceilings Substack, noceilings.substack.com. And I have handpicked here, Tyler, about five guys that I wanted to highlight that I wrote about in my column, starting with J.D. Davison, the Alabama point guard, You and I talked about him before the season on one of our preseason preview pods. You know how much I love this guy coming in, the energy that I saw him play with in high school, those those Colin Sexton vibes that he gave off. I'm actually really impressed with his maturity so far. And the reason why I say that is that not every point guard or prospect, I should say, of his caliber would be so willing to come off the bench first off, and then when he is in the game, kind of do the the little things to help his team win games, the nitty-gritty, right? Like his best highlight against Gonzaga, which is the game that I wanted to touch on the most that happened this weekend. Alabama actually upset Gonzaga. But his highlight play from that game was an offensive putback, offensive rebound putback that completely got everybody going. It got the announcers going on the broadcast. Even Mike Schmitz, who ESPN actually talked to during the game, he was all jazzed up about it. But those are the type of exciting plays that you can expect from Davison. The 6'3 point guard with a reported six uh, six foot, eight inch wingspan, 9.8 points per game, 4.8 rebounds, 4.6 assists, shooting 55% from the field, 38% from the three point line, 69% from the free throw line an 18.7 PER, a 65.7 true shooting percentage. He brings a lot to the table um, from a baseline standpoint. He can score at the basket. We know how athletic he is. He can finish in transition. He's a capable, actually, I would say more than capable right now, catch and shoot player, at least at this current moment in time, he's in the 99th percentile in terms of catch and shoot shots. His his creation off the bounce in terms of being able to hit jump shots in the mid-range, one, two, triple pull-ups, He's in the 17th percentile in terms of jump shots off the dribble, so that's not the best. And he's only in the 22nd percentile in terms of isolation play, but pick and roll scoring, he's been just fine. My main concern with him outside of the jump shot, though, is I would call him a solid passer. I wouldn't call him a good passer, and I wouldn't call him a great passer. I think there are definitely some things he needs to work on in that perspective. needs to be a little more ambidextrous needs to definitely put a little more velocity on his passes to make sure they're not picked off because that's really where a lot of the turnovers pile up, 3.3 turnovers per game. But if you take out some of those areas where he's raw around the edges, you start comparing him to some of the other point guards in this draft class. Obviously, he measures up well from a physical standpoint. He has the best measurables of any of the point guards that we're going to talk about in the top 20-ish. And those guys for us would be Jean Montero, Kennedy Chandler, and Ty Ty Washington. He's obviously the most most athletic, the most explosive. What are some of your thoughts about Davis and Tyler that, that you've kind of picked up on early in the season here? And where does he stand amongst those other point guards for you, especially after his notable performance against Gonzaga, where he put up 
20 points in that game, despite coming off the bench. He just brought so many things to the table from an intangible standpoint on both ends. Yeah, the Gonzaga game was the resume builder. You know, you look for those types of performances to kind of go back and say, look at how good he was against some of the toughest competition. And Nathan, you and I have talked about this. This point guard class is just fascinating because we've kind of kept waiting for someone to separate themselves or kind of make a purpose or make a stance, you know, about climbing up some boards. And Davison did it in a hurry. You know, that was the game that everyone who's a fan of Davison and his, you know, potential, they're going to circle yep. back to that Gonzaga game. So I, I'm, I'm very intrigued. You know, I was, we've talked about it in previous episodes. I was one of those guys that I'm always scared with the really athletic point guards that know they're athletic and try to get by on that because I want to see if they have the rest of the tools. But he showed a lot in that Gonzaga game that you're talking about the plays you want to see, you know, like obviously he's got work to do when it comes to his passing, stuff like that. But the extra effort plays, you know, the, yep. the offensive putback you're talking about was just like, a, okay, yes, like checking a box right away. Um, he made a play along the baseline or along the sideline where he just extra effort. You saw the speed, the awareness. The anticipation. Yeah, when he played the passing lane, got the steal yes. and get out in transition. It was, yep. it was just great floor awareness and reading a play perfectly. So those are the type of plays that you might say the other areas are a little raw and need some work. But if he's making extra effort plays, stuff like that, that shifts the momentum of a game, you can start start climbing up boards in a hurry. So I definitely think Davison was one of his most impressive games, something to build off moving forward. And like you said, the maturity to, hey, I'm not starting. I'm coming off the bench early in the year, but I can still make an impact. I can still help my team. And that's what he's showing right now. And we're all going to be excited to keep watching him and see how he builds off this game. I love examples of leadership from the point guard position. And what's so great about Davison is when he makes a big time shot or he makes a big time play inside, he'll clap his hands. He'll get going. He'll give you the little rah, rah. He'll jaw at his opponents a little bit. He'll let you know that he did something great. But when he makes a play to get somebody else involved, right? Like when, when he does drive into the lane, kind of stops, surveys where the defense is. And, and if the play isn't there for him to, to get to the basket, He'll be able to kick it out to the outside. He'll get somebody else an open three-point shot. When that guy makes the shot, when, when one of his teammates steps up and does something, he's even louder. He's flexing even harder. And I wrote that in my column specifically, and I think that's important to, to highlight. Just his enthusiasm, his communication with his teammates, him wanting to get everybody else involved and make everyone else around him better. I don't have any issues with his court vision. Like I said, it's just some of his his tendencies when he is actually passing the ball, some of his mechanics from that standpoint, I do have some concerns about. But talk to me about some of what you've seen from an energy standpoint with Davison because we were high on him for, for that reason before the draft. And, and talk about how you would evaluate him and how, how much that plays into your evaluations of point guards overall from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, that the exactly what you're talking about, those examples of, you know, being involved in the game, being upbeat for your teammates. Scouts are watching that, you know, per, NBA personnel, they're paying attention to how you carry yourself when you're not the go-to scorer. How are you involved and are you getting teammates up? So definitely that's a plus in a big way for him. And, you know, when I'm watching him, what I've seen so far that's 
left me intrigued is not just, you know, he had a great game against Gonzaga shooting the ball from outside. Got a little hot there, kind of made an impact, just was spreading the floor. But he's also mixing it up all over the place. You know, he's going after boards. He's using his athletic leaping ability to high point some rebounds. Like, he's being aggressive and trying to make plays for his team, you know. And it's not just scoring. It's what can I do to make an impact? How can I help my team out? So the more I watch him, the more the maturity stands out, the more of, there's a desire to help out in any way possible. I think that's the stuff when you're evaluating, you know, point guards that have this athletic ability. It's like, okay, you're, you're a great athlete. How can you use it when you don't have the ball in your hands? And he's doing that. He's showing the willingness to go mix it up with, you know, bigger defenders. He's just fearless. And for someone that wasn't really sold in the beginning of the year, I'm starting to, you know, I'm intrigued. I'm trying to buy stock now because he just showed me a lot in that last performance that I'm definitely going to be excited to keep watching and moving forward, see how he builds off this. So he doesn't, he doesn't carve up defenses with handle and craft in the same way that Chandler and Washington have shown the ability to. He's not quite that high level type of playmaker or fancy shooter that somebody like John Montero is. But I wrote this in my column specifically, and I want to read it off, that Davison's baseline of scoring and shooting with the attitude, competitiveness, and discipline of a lead guard give him as high of a ceiling as any other point in this class, especially when you factor in his length and athleticism. And I think baseline is really the word that I want to come back to because we obviously know that he has the upside to further expand his game if an NBA team was willing to bet on his long-term potential and kind of groom him slowly, like there, there is that chance that he jumps a few more levels as a passer. He firmly takes hold as the best league guard in 2022. How much stock would you put into a statement like that? Do you think he definitely has the chance to become the best league guard in this class? Where do you have him right now as, as opposed to some of the other point guards? I think, you know, when, where I have him right now, I probably have Montero up there and then Chandler and Davison's probably right in the mix. I just think this point guard class, someone's going to make a case to start climbing in a hurry. Like, I think evaluators, scouts, you know, personnel, we're all waiting for this one guy to just make a serious statement that he deserves to be sort of near the top. You know, I think Kennedy Chandler from Tennessee kind of had that buzz going a little bit to start the year. I think Davidson can all of a sudden be like, okay, now this is my turn. This is my stretch of games where I'm going to start making some noise. Because, you know, something you said that's that's really important, I wanted to go back. Um, We've talked before about how athleticism, like athletic guards, how do you impact the other way? Sometimes they take a while to get, you know, find a groove without their athleticism. If you watch that last Gonzaga game, he makes some mistakes trying to create, but you can tell he has the right mindset of what he's trying to do. It's just he's still trying to figure out the kinks of like, okay, the ball is supposed to go there. I just didn't have the right angle. Like the vision's there. Yep. It, it ends in a turnover, but you love to see like that was the right idea. And I think that jumps out more with Davison is, he understands where he needs to go with it. Now he just needs time to figure out like, okay, the passing lane was there, but it'd be easier if I take this little dribble to the left and make it a better pass. So I, I'm very intrigued. I, I really do think 
you know, you pointed out the measurements. What is he, 6'3"? You said 6'8", wingspan? I mean... Yeah, so yes. so plus 5. Some people have even said it might be 6'9", wingspan. So yeah, either way, plus you, 5, plus 6. When you get over plus 3, I mean, then you're entering some real real estate. And NBA teams are going to be drooling over that. I, I definitely think the tools, the speed, the quickness, if he could just gel everything together, yes, I wouldn't be surprised if some NBA teams are thinking of him as potentially one of the top point guards in this class. Yeah, I would still have Chandler ahead mm -hmm. of him. Um, he, he, he's become a lot more in line in terms of the, the Washington-Montero segment for me. The jury's still out in, in, in a few different ways on Montero. He has some of the highest of highs of quite literally any of the prospects that we can talk about in this draft class, but he also has some really low lows. And right mm -hmm. now with overtime elite, he's playing the equivalent of high school level competition. So he's not even playing up to the level that some of these other domestic college prospects are. And then as for Washington, I think the jury's still out a little bit on him as a playmaker and a distributor overall. And yes, he has more craft inside the arc. He has the best floater out of any of the four of these guys, but I don't see him being that same athletic type of threat getting downhill as somebody like a Davison is. Really, Davison's main competition in this class to me right now, if I were to go back and redo my big board again after my 1.0, would be Kennedy Chandler. And Ch Ch Chandler just, his manipulation of the defense, his use of ball screens, his ability to pull up from literally anywhere on the floor and nail a jump shot, his passing ability from different angles, and then something that we talked about in, in, in different different environments, his, his footwork, his defensive footwork, his ability to stay with somebody. He's got like a pretty good build to him. He doesn't get pushed off spots. Those are some things that when you put all of those components together, they give you those Chris Paul type vibes. So that's why I'm, I'm not making that direct comparison, neither would you, but that's just the type of prospect I think Chandler could be. So that's why Davison has a lot of work to do to kind of round off some of those rougher edges and really lay claim to being the best overall point guard in this draft class. But I would say he's he got off to a pretty solid start earlier in this year. As you said, I would call the Gonzaga game definitely a statement game for him, and we'll see how much he can build off of it going on. So let's get to the section of this podcast where I would like to mirror my column and call it emptying the notebook. However, I didn't actually get to make it to Kansas and St. John's on Friday, life happens. Tyler, if I never had to drive into New York City ever again, I promise you wouldn't see me shed any tears, man. That that that, that traffic was was absolutely awful and completely derailed all of my plans for Friday night. But nevertheless, I still enjoyed the game from the comfort of my own couch. Would have I gotten all of the in-person insights that I wanted to, some of the little things that you and I talked about on our previous podcast where we got to share some stories about what we saw on the sidelines? I didn't get those things. But in terms of the tape, I actually started off my column in this section talking about Julian Champagny. I want to start with a different guy, somebody who you literally private messaged me last Dude. week. And it was like, wait a second, you're a Christian Brown guy? And I'm like, yes. I'm, I'm, like, I'm, I'm like Brucker. If you listened to my podcast last year, you would have known that I was on Brown Island. This is this is one of my dudes. And have you looked at a lot of his stats already? I don't this want year? to. 
I'm just watching him on the court and I'm in love. I was in love with him last year. Now I'm really dangerous, like stalker alert in love. But but hit me with it. I know your I don't, numbers. I don't care if you want to hear him. I'm gonna read I'm gonna read <laughs> off all the numbers anyways. So 16.3 points per game, 7.3 rebounds, 3.1 assists, oh. almost 62% from the field overall, 36.8 from three-point range, 85% from the free throw line over a steal and a block per game to just two turnovers per game, 28.4 PER and a 69.1 true shooting percentage. And then it gets even better. His synergy profile, 93rd percentile in terms of total offense, 39th percentile in terms of total defense. I'd like to see that number be a little higher, especially when you watch him on film. He actually does some good things defensively, but 99th percentile on cuts. 85th percentile in transition, 84th percentile on spot-ups, 84th in terms of pick-and-rolls, including passes, 75th percentile on jumpers, 90th around the basket, and 93rd on catch-and-shoot shots. So that's not the most diverse synergy portfolio that I could read off to you, but in every play type that he actually registers enough possessions to be ranked in those percentiles, he's above the 75th percentile. Which, which is, is a big number that that's that's a big that's a big 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 mark to hit big and number. one of the big things i touched on in my column is i wouldn't say that he's elite at one particular thing including athletically but he's good to great in a number of different areas and he's just a damn good basketball player he rebounds effectively for his position. He hits open jumpers. He can finish around the basket, positions himself well on both ends, moves the ball effectively and doesn't let it stick. Overall, high basketball IQ as a playmaker, shooter, and scorer. And NBA teams love these wings who have plus size for their position, who can dribble, pass, shoot, and defend. And sure, like, like like I said, that, that 39th percentile in terms of total defense, we'd like to see that a little higher. But when you turn on the film, he's big, he's long, he competes on that end, he plays passing lanes, is intense on the ball as well as off the ball. There are so many things, Tyler, he brings to the table. And before this game, before I went and watched the film on this game, my thought on him was that he was at the very least a really solid 7th through ninth man for an NBA team with spot starter upside because in some situations you watch him, he just seems to step slow. Like, right. Like you watch him and you think, is this really going to translate to the NBA level? But then he has some of these like run out plays in transition where you can, he he's, he he's moving. He, he's moving in the open court with the ball in his hands, able to finish a play, make something happen. I, I'm, I'm going to have a tough time to keeping him out of my first round. Of, of yeah. my next top 30 Tyler I'm, I'm dead serious Christian Brown is truly emerging in front of us his game was at 31 points eight rebounds four assists like three steals on great shooting for the field great shooting from three-point range he laid waste to that St. John's team and it's not like St. John's had anyone who was necessarily going to shut him down but when you consider Ochai Abaji is also on his team who's arguably the national player of the year right now. And we'll get to him in a second. But even when you factor that in some of the other good players he's playing with, he's still found a way to break out without being a volume shooter or score. Everything he does is completely within the realm of the offense. Doesn't force anything. 
I love him, man. I know you love him too. Talk to me about where you're at on Christian Brown. I just, I'm the same way. You know, we made our big board. We made our top 30 for no ceilings. That'll be out this week. And I, it just was like an elephant in the room. Every time I was putting someone on the list, I was like, why shouldn't Christian Braun be in the top 30? Like, I, I don't understand why he couldn't end up being one of these guys that goes in the first round because this is what a playoff team wants. Like a, a yep. guy that they're picking at the end of the first round, they want this guy that's going to come in and just make plays. Just He stands out with his basketball IQ. He's aware he plays like he gives a shit. And I know that sounds funny to say, but it's just the, the competitiveness. Like, Oh yeah. He's nasty. That, that man is nasty on the court. And I'm really impressed with how he is off the dribble this year. Like that's another element of his game that like the smoothness he's attacking with purpose. It's confident. He's not just this guy that can stretch the floor. And and, and I think he's much better shooter than his three point percentage might tell you. Um, It's just one of those cases where it's like, Hey, he, he can shoot. I don't know. I, I'm just saying, if, if Duncan Robinson's getting big extensions in the NBA, why, why couldn't Christian Braun make it in the NBA? I mean, it just seems like one of these bench guys that could come in for a playoff team and just be a fantastic asset in your rotation. I liked him last year. He's taken this big leap this year. I know me and you have talked about him plenty. Just everything you want and, and a guy that could sneak up into the first round and you know, who knows if he keeps going like this, maybe he keeps inching a little more. I don't know. It's just, I love everything he does on the basketball court. And, you know, obviously you're saying you'd like to see the defense come around. We'll definitely be watching that moving forward, but he just does too many good things that you can't ignore it for too long. It's, we got to start talking about him. What's the thing you love about him the most though? What's, what's, what's the thing that stands out to you the most when you flip on the film and you're watching him? I think just the feel, the the awareness and the feel of, you know, knowing when to attack, knowing when to try to create plays for his teammates, knowing when it's like, okay, this is my shot. I'm feeling it. Just always seems to understand where to go, like the right spot, you know, whether it's spacing awareness, it's just everything you're watching as, as him as a player just checks a lot of boxes right away of someone that, you know, this is the classic, you know, I, I keep throwing it around, but this is the classic Warriors pick at the end of the first, or, you know, the, the heat add someone like this, just the playoff team says, yes, throw him into the mix. Like he just makes your team better. And I think he also realizes I don't have to score. I can do stuff to make this shot for my teammate better, which is really important stuff. So um, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, I just I'm like you. I, I don't know how many of these big boards or mocks that we're going to talk about moving forward. Where I'm going to be like, can I leave him out? Especially if he all of a sudden is about to go on a stretch where it's he's putting up 15 or more a game. I mean, I'm excited after that last one. You know, when you, when you were tracking that and saw the night he was having, you're like, oh boy, here we go. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone was talking about him on social media, and I was like, finally, the, the Christian Brown hive might, might finally be taking shape on, on Twitter. Um, yeah, you talked about his awareness, his overall feel for the game. You, you, you have to have an elite feel for the game, and maybe that is that one particular thing he is elite at. It's just his understanding and feel for the game overall. When you rate out in the 99th percentile on cuts, and you can see that on the film, his timing, he backdoors people to death. 
anyone who listened to my podcast last year, you know, I was the biggest Joel Iaiu supporter for the same reason. That man also just backdoor defenses to death. And if you aren't incredibly dynamic with the ball in your hands, right? Like, like you're a capable playmaker, you make good decisions, you can hit a one or two dribble pull up, but you're not like if, if a defender's crowding, if you're going up against one of the better defenders in the NBA and you don't have that shiftiness, that shake, that handle, that to create something, create separation properly off the bounce, you need to be able to bring the ball back out, get rid of it, and then relocate. And that was a big reason why I was high on Jared Butler last year. I just mentioned a Yai's name. And I see so many of the same similarities with Christian yeah. Brown. And it's like, why, why am I not having him in, in, in a top 30? And matter of fact, screw top 30. Why is he not like a top 20 guy? Like how right. high do you think Brown can climb? I think top 20 for sure. I, I It's just exactly what you're talking about. If you don't have the handles to be this creator off the bounce that's fine but you need to make up for it somewhere else and he makes up for it with the feel with the the cutting the you know the awareness off the ball like finding easy buckets he's just very efficient when it comes to my attention to detail can lead me spacing and then all of a sudden there's a lapse in the defense backdoor cut like it's just the small stuff he's he's constantly analyzing the defense and moving so i don't understand why if he keeps playing at this level. Why he couldn't just start skyrocketing up boards. And this also could be a classic guy that the pre-draft workout comes around and Christian Braun's making some noise. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, he's climbed in the first round conversation. It's just, this is the guy, this is the type of guy that gets in front of NBA personnel and they see him hands on and he's just lighting the gym on fire. And they're like, okay, wait a second. Wait, what about this kid? You know, I, I know he's, going to get the upperclassman tag that i hate with a passion but upperclassmen can play does you don't need to be a freshman and be 18 years old to get drafted early so i'm like you i'm a fan now i'm riled up because I'm, I'm now i need to redo my big board nathan see what you did to me so you get you get do you get any kevin herger type vibes for brown because that's like I, i've watched the film and i keep coming back to like he has a herger case like i think herger probably yes. has just a slight more zip than Brown, but everything else, this, this, this plus size wing who can shoot from the outside, very, very underrated passer when, when he does have to make decisions, can do some things defensively, play passing lanes, utilize his length. That, that's the type of player I see in yes. Brown. And like, in, when you talk about, yeah, he could explode in the pre-draft process, that's what Herder did. Like, I was banging Herder's drum that year for, for a lot of the time. I was talking to some members on my old staff, like, why are we not talking about this guy more? Why is he not a first-round pick? And then all of a sudden, you hear about him just nailing three-pointer after three-pointer and workouts and making his presence known at the combine, and he just rises up, and, and eventually he is firmly a first-round pick. Like, yeah, why can't the same thing happen for Christian Brown? You get any Herder-type vibes from him? Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, Herder, I do agree. I think Herder's got a little bit more burst. That's just that quick burst. But I also think Braun just has that – he knows he's not going to be more athletic than the guy next to him, but he uses his body. He understands like not to force a look. He puts himself in the right position to anticipate like, okay, this might be a little tough shot, but he's a little sneaky quick. Like, you know, Carter had a little more, but you know, Braun can get going and he can get by guys easily because he uses his body, uses his size. 
Yeah, he has a better he has a better build than Herter. Like if he, yes. he he has that just that little bit to get somebody on his hip and he can hold them there because he has that bulk to him. Right? Yes, that, and that's a big deal. So I mean, if you're not beating guys with your quickness, you can use your body. You you could play off of that. So yeah, I I, I definitely see the Herter vibes. I just see this guy that could easily climb in a hurry, and I'm a fan. You know, I joked we did that big board, and now I want to redo it because it's just the moment we did that top 30, I had his name down because I was like, why shouldn't I have him in the top 30? And it's probably going to keep me up for the next week. So, you know, we'll revisit well, that. Well, we, 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 have, we have to get more of our teammates yes, yes, yes. On, on, on the bandwagon and no ceilings so that he makes the next composite board, not just our <laughs> personal boards. But let's move to his teammate. Let's talk mm-hmm. about... Ochai Baji, as I mentioned, he's probably the favorite for player of the year right now. 22.6 points, four rebounds, almost two assists per game, almost 56% from the field, 44% from three-point range, 76% from the free throw line, 96th percentile in terms of total offense, 80th percentile in terms of total defense, 96th percentile scoring out of pick and roll sets as well as on cuts. 95th percentile in transition and on handoff, 66th percentile on spot-up shooting overall, 49th percentile on jumpers, 97th around the basket, 51st on catch-and-shoot shots, 41st percentile on all jump shots off the dribble. Everybody talks about how he's almost exclusively a jump shooter, yet they wonder why some of those numbers might be low. Well, it's because he's only in the 6th percentile on medium-range shots. That has always been his main issue, He's been better this year at getting downhill and using his dribble a little bit more to create off the bounce, although he still settles for far too many of these mid-range type shots that just do not go in. For whatever reason, they just clank off the top of the rim and they will just never go in. But he has gotten better again downhill a little more and has it translated to more free throw attempts. No, he's only slightly up in the free throw attempts per game. I think last year is at two and a half. This year is at three. So I would still like to see more from that perspective, but at the very least, when he gets to the basket, he can finish the play. I like to see that. He's just he just seems more comfortable taking a heavier load offensively on this Kansas team. Like when you flip on Kansas, you can tell that he's the man. He wants the ball in his hands. He wants to make exciting plays, and he wants to get out and defend. He wants to he wants to defend and make plays just like Brown does. And when you have two of those types of defenders on the wing like that, along with McCormick on the inside, you have this defensive triangle that teams just don't want to go up against. And it's a main reason why I I don't know for the life of me, why more people didn't pick Kansas preseason to go to the final four. Like I think this team's loaded. I think that they're going to give so many people fits and they have multiple guys in Agbaji and Brown who can go and, and get their own shot and create efficient offense, not just create offense. Um, Agbaji is one of the best knockdown shooters we have off the catch. As I mentioned, he can finish at the basket really well. He's athletic. He's a tailor made. He has a tailor made role in the league as a three and D wing who can attack closeouts and defend multiple positions. And I think he's finally gotten himself in consensus first round conversation. Where are you currently at on Agbaji Tyler in, in terms of his stock? I feel like I was in the beginning of the year, a little bit lower on him and it was just one of those I wanted to see more of a sample. And it's another guy that I need to keep watching more. But from what I've seen so far, 
Definitely the three and D rule of the upside just jumped at me right away. Um, just the catch and shoot ability, floor spacing. He's got a solid shot. This good foundation. And then you talk about versatility defensively. He just looks like a guy that's going to intrigue teams with the idea of him being a strong three and D type player. So definitely one that I want to keep watching moving forward. Um, starting to, you know, a lot of people around the draft community have been talking about him and he's been buzzing. And one of those guys I wrote down and from the brief amount that I've watched of him, I've been very intrigued. So I just want to keep seeing more, um, especially the defensive side of the ball. Cause I really do think there's some intriguing versatility there. I have him at the back end of the first round. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. That's appropriate. He's a senior. So you can only rate his upside so high, but at the same time, I think he has just as high of a floor. And that's really what NBA teams in the back end of the first are looking for. Like if you put him on an NBA playoff team tomorrow or a playoff caliber team tomorrow, I don't know if he's playing like 30 minutes a night, but he's probably playing 15, 18 to 20 minutes a night, really making an impact spacing the floor for everyone else around him. Is he, is he as dynamic with the ball in his hands as you maybe like your NBA wing to be? I would say no, but I think he's really other, other than the, the, the mid range pull-ups, I think everywhere else in terms of his decision-making his court vision, his willingness to move the ball and pass it. I think he's improved in enough other areas to the point where I'm comfortable drafting him with a first round pick despite his age and I think he's really going to help an NBA team in the long run. And I'm with you. I I, I want to see if this level of efficiency can carry over throughout the course of the season, especially with the volume and the responsibility that he has on his shoulders. But I think he's got a really strong case to keep it up. And it will be really interesting to see who finishes higher on my personal board between him and Brown. I don't know. If, if, if you're drafting on an NBA team Tyler, which one of these two do you want to buy you? Do you want Brown? I mean, they're both just exactly what you're talking about where it's end of the first round type of guys that this is exactly the type of player that might have that, you know, that high floor, but you just can put them on a team on an NBA court and their specific skill sets can help that team be better. So I don't know, you, you know, obviously we just had a little bit of a sesh where we're both drunk on the Christian Braun love, but um, I don't know. I just, Igwaji, I want to, I can't give a definite answer because I want to watch more of him, you know, uh, but they both seem just like these safe type of picks where, you know, Igwaji could come in and be really good defensive piece that can space the floor from catch and shoot opportunities if he needs and be a really nice rotation asset. So they're both going to be right in that mix. You know, it's funny. We all make these big boards and talk about, we see a guy and we're like, Oh, he's a first round pick. And it's like, well, when you start breaking it down, those guys get that top 30 runs out quick. So it's going to be fascinating to watch them throughout the year. And Kansas, you know, like you said, Kansas, another year where they have a great crop of potential NBA prospects. If you want a high flyer, and you want somebody who is more of a vertical threat, you take a Baji. If you're more in the wheelhouse for you just want to get the smarter of the two basketball players, then mm -hmm. I think you're, you're in Brown's camp. So it really depends on your personal preference. I, If I had to make a guess as to who's going to be higher on my board by the end of the year, I'm probably saying Brown. 
Like I, the, I, I think the, the, this is the time to finally drive that train. And are we going to drive it into the ground? Maybe. Is it going to be able to run after we're done driving it? I don't know. Are we going to wreck it? But it, it's going to be a fun ride regardless. So we'll have to see how it turns out for them. The last quote unquote bigger name prospect who was in this matchup was Julian Champagny. The whole reason why I wanted to, to try to go to the game was because I wanted to see Champagny up close and personal against better competition, or at least some of the best competition he's going to face all year in Kansas. We laid out how much talent that team has. They have legitimate size up front in McCormick and Mitch Lightfoot. And between Abaji Brown and Jalen Wilson, they got a bunch of different pieces on the wing slash forward spots who can make his life a little interesting on both ends of the floor, both offensively and defensively. And I think that Champagne handled that challenge well in that game. You saw him active on defense. You saw him active on the boards, which is great to see. Does he still have some issues defensively as he's the quickest footed guy for a 6'8 prospect? No, he's not. But he is 6'8". He has good body to him, similar to his brother Justin, who is now with the Toronto Raptors. He shoots incredibly well from the field. Did that again against Kansas, despite some of the defensive matchups. He was at 24 points on 7 of 13 shooting from the field, including 6 of 9 from three-point range. You'll love to see it. And I think shooters with size, similar to what we were talking about with Brown, those are hot commodities in the NBA. I think he definitely has a shot at being drafted in the first round. I don't have him there right now, but I know some people who are really in love with his game. I think Brad, if, if we're comparing prospects who we think could be first rounders from this game, right, between Brown and Champagny. Brown, similar to Champagny, doesn't have the most elite burst, but I think he's a better dribbler than Champagny and he makes better decisions when he gets crowded when it once once he gets that second foot in the paint and he gets crowded a little bit by the defense Brown makes better decisions with the ball Champagny has a little bit of an issue coughing up the ball turns it over I think he had four turnovers in this game if I'm correct and you saw it on, on multiple different situations on tape as soon as he got got a step on the defense that was great he could ultimately get there he has the size to be able to push somebody off of him but if he's crowded He's not a good handler of the basketball. He doesn't have good dribble. He, he will cough it up and he will lose it. So that's definitely an issue. And that prevents him from getting to the basket more often. He, he's pretty good at finishing in the paint when he gets there, but getting there is the main issue. So we're talking about primarily a 6'8 spot up shooter. He can offer you some rebounding on the defensive end, not a plus defender. He's okay. Like, where does that rate out for you in, in the 2022 class, Tyler? What are some of your thoughts on, on Champagne up to this point? I, I think Champagne's – I'm right there with you. He's not my top 30. Doesn't mean he can't eventually be there, but he just seems like a guy that might be that early second round, middle second round type of guy. Really good size. You know, I was intrigued with him last year. I was really excited when he decided to return for another year. He's – sort of taking that next step when it turn, comes to production. I'll, we'll see if it kind of, you know, maintains, you know, I think he's around, he was like 19 last year a game and now he's around like 21. We'll see if that kind of stays or goes a little bit more towards the, the median, if you want to put it that way. So I'm intrigued. It, it, it's like you're saying six, eight can shoot it. Okay. Yeah, it's great. 
uh, what else can you do? And, you know, I loved his brother as a prospect because his brother was just a rebounding machine. And if you would combine, if the two of them were the oh same in the same body, right? Like we're talking about a top 10 pick. I would like, if we could somehow get a mad scientist to compare them, I would be my favorite prospect ever because his brother was a demon on the boards. But no, I, I, I like Julian a lot. He can shoot it. It's just, I don't know if I'm going to have him in my top 30 right now. We'll see how it progresses throughout the year because I do think there's, like you're saying, we have some guys at our No Ceilings fam that have them in their top 30. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just my personal preference. I think I have them a little bit right outside of it. So we'll see. I, I, I like them. I like the potential. It just, I'm, I need to see some more. You know, I need to see if you're not shooting it, how else are you going to impact the game? And, I think that's what I'm going to be paying attention to throughout the rest of the year for him. Do you think he's a good enough defender with his size to be able to do a few things in the NBA and kind of like get by on that end, given how plus of a shooter he is? Cause that's really, that's really what you're looking for. Like, not that I'm going to compare the two directly, but like Tobias Harris, for example, like Tobias Harris is not a good one-on-one defender by any means, but if he's close enough to the basket and he's kind of in a battle down low with somebody like one-on-one, like he's, he's a bulky guy and Champagne isn't that bulky of a player, but he's got enough size to him to the point where he can at least battle and hold his own in certain situations. You just don't want him on the perimeter against a shifty guard who's going to get around him pretty easily. Like, do you think Champagne can do enough defensively to the point where we properly evaluate his offensive value and, and, and not diminish him too much? Or do you think that that lack of plus defense is really going to hurt his draft case? Yeah. I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I got to watch it more closely. I mean, it's December, let's pump the brakes folks. I'm not that much a machine yet, but you know, Duncan Robinson was a guy that really struggled defensively and he spent some serious amount of time in the G League and he kind of needed the perfect fit to get a shot with the NBA. And I always thought like this guy can play in the NBA, but someone's going to need to hide that defense. And, you know, he found a home with the Miami Heat. It's worked perfectly. So maybe Julian's that type of guy where a team really needs a floor spacer and they have some strong pieces around him that they could kind of hide him on the bench. And maybe his defense, maybe he's an average defender. Maybe it's a little bit better when he's surrounded by some better talent defensively, if that makes sense. So I'm not going to go out there right now and say like, I think he's a terrible defender. Cause I just, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not on the St. John's deep defensive dive yet. You know, I know, I know my boy Nathan might be there, but I think he's fine. You know, good, Six eight guy, it, he hasn't jumped out me as this. Oh my gosh, we got to be really worried about Julian's defense. I think you're just going to focus on that type, you know, that part of the draft. You need to find guys with specific skills that could potentially help your team moving forward. You know, if he's a second round pick and you're like, we have this potential really efficient outside shooter with size, could we use that? Yes, as a second round pick, we definitely could use that. So he's going to be one I'm watching moving forward. And I think you're in the same boat where it's, he might not be in our top 30 at the end of the year, but he might be one of those guys we're writing down as a sleeper and letting everybody know about it. Our last guy that I want to talk about is someone who I did not have in my top 30. Matter of fact, this guy was nowhere close to being on my radar before the season started. Johnny Davis 
at Wisconsin broke out in a big way against Houston to the point where you got to pay attention. You're like, all right, now this guy's on my radar. Can he put up numbers like that in multiple games, not just one game? We can't just go too far and overvaluate on one game. But then he goes and does it again against Marquette and has a really efficient game, monster game, racking up 25 points on 14 shots. The thing that stands out to me about his performance in this game, Tyler, was he only attempted one three the whole game. He was one for one from the three-point line. So 13 other shots plus, I believe, his eight free throw attempts, right? Guard-type scores, and I would classify him more as a guard versus a wing. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't love his build, so I think he's a, he's a 6'5 guard. But guards in the NBA nowadays, if you're having like a 20-plus point night, you're generally at least – maybe you're not making, but you're at least attempting close to a handful of threes, if not more. This guy whipped out the old-school book, old-school bag of tricks. He was getting inside, hitting the runners, hitting some fadeaways out of the post, some one-two dribble pull-ups in the mid-range, catch-and-shoot type stuff. And then when he gets downhill, he's one of the best guys that we have in this class up to this point at actually drawing contact and make sure he gets to the free-throw line. And then he's hitting the free-throws. Very – mature type of scoring game. And I know I can think of a few fans in the draft community off the top of my head, guys who appreciate that type of stuff like Chuck over at Chuck and darts. I know that was a big reason why he was banging the camp Thomas drum all year long because of his professional type of scoring repertoire. It's Davis is such an interesting case because he's not a volume three point shooter, but at least to me, and, and I'll get your thoughts in a second, the mechanics look good. I think he is a good shooter. Really wonders me what his numbers would look like if he was more of a volume threat from mm-hmm. three-point range. Like, he actually emphasized that part of his game more. But there is also a big part of me that appreciates his two-point scoring nature, his wanting to actually score inside the arc and make yes. the ones there. That That is such a lost art in, in many different situations in today's NBA game. It's really... The mid-range game is is much more emphasized and heightened when you get into the playoffs and you get into these high-pressure games where everybody's defending, defending their asses off, and you kind of just need to make something happen, and that's not always from three-point range. But in the regular season, it's so much up and down, spread the court, bomb, whatever, seven, eight, ten threes. And you're seeing a little more of that leak into the college game, but Davis is, like, not having any of that. And I really love his approach. I love his demeanor. I love how he reads the defense before he even makes a move to get inside the arc. It's almost as if he's processing the game and seeing two steps ahead in terms of the possibilities of what the defense can do. And then he's consistently making the right decision to ultimately counter anything the defense could possibly throw at him. And I wouldn't say that Wisconsin's been in any world beater type of games yet. I would say that Houston's the best opponent they've faced so far. We'll see what they do against some of the other Big Ten teams. But, yeah, so, sophomore wing, I'm seeing some lottery buzz from him. I've certainly seen enough first-round buzz from him. I think that in a second edition of my big board, I'm ready to move in and move him into my top 30. What are, what are some of the things you like about Davis? What are you seeing from him? You know, it's funny. I think I was in Vegas with Albert – for no ceiling getting ready for UCLA Gonzaga or for one of those games. And 
I just kept watching. We were watching a game in the background, and I just kept seeing this guy in Wisconsin just all over the place. And I was like, who the heck is that? And then it was just Johnny Davis just going nuts. So I was like, okay, I need to write that down. And I, I came home. He's, you know, he's obviously been generating some buzz. He's starting to play really good. Just started watching him. And, and I'm like, you, yeah, I just immediately, I was like, yes, old school mentality. I absolutely love it. You know, just my fan was coming out, but I really like the way he plays. I, I, I just think he's gritty. He's feisty, not afraid to go take people down low and get inside. He uses his body. He makes some tough shots too. I mean, it's a, I think it's a skill when you're a tough shot maker, when you're not rattled and someone's all over you and you can still get buckets. I definitely think that's something you got to make note of. And I really like what I've seen from Johnny. Um, he was at in my top 30 at the end. And I joked with some of the no ceilings guys when we were talking about our big boards, I said, I wanted to move him up like eight spots. And then I just kind of chickened out, but that's just the type of player when you watch him on film, you you quickly fall in love with him because it's this desire to get to the basket. It's this desire to go one-on-one -on -one with people and get to the free throw line. And, and I'm just a fan. And, you know, I would say the top 15 might be a little rich for my taste right now, but I definitely think he's sort of trending that way with the buzz where we could be looking up, you know, sophomore guard, good size, physical, um, looks like he's got maturity and the right mentality with how he plays the game. I definitely think he could start creeping up some boards. 20.1 points per game on almost 46% shooting from the field, over 40% from three-point range, 82% from the foul line, 29.8 PER, 56.2 true shooting percentage, 78th percentile in terms of his total offense, holding the zone on defense, 76th percentile in terms of total defense. He'd love to see that. 93rd percentile scoring out of pick and roll. NBA teams really love seeing that stat. Yeah. I would love to for him to be a little more effective off the ball besides just spotting up or, or standing there to, to fire up a catch-and-shoot shot. I think there's definitely a little bit more room to grow there. He's only in the 25th percentile on cuts. Let's get those numbers up. But his effectiveness shooting jump shots overall inside the arc as well as outside the arc, his ability to create for himself – process properly read the defense utilize a screen out of pick and roll play and make the right decisions and 5.6 free throw attempts per game i love i love to see that number so many of these prospects that we talk about tyler are only taking like two or three free throw attempts per game it's just not part of their game right. they're not willing to, to get physical get down and dirty and it is technically tougher in the college game because defenses are more crowded in the paint it's a little more packed paint the court's not spread as far as in the nba so it is a little tougher, but when you do see those numbers, that's something you really have to appreciate from a prospect. I guess my question, my last question for you to kind of wrap up the podcast, Tyler, about Johnny is he doesn't have that elite burst off the bounce. And that leads to some of the issues that he has in some isolation play types. He's only in the 16th percentile in terms of isolations. 26 percentile in terms of isolations, including passes. So if that is an area of his game where he, he's always going to struggle because he's just not that quick, he doesn't have that next level first step. What do you think his upside is overall as a scorer? Do you think that some of these things we're seeing in the college game, and it, it's early, but from what we've seen already, do you think that some of that 
can still translate to the NBA as, as, as big a way or close to the same way that he is right now in college. I do think it could translate. There's definitely times on film where you see he has trouble blown by guys, but he just kind of impresses me. Like that worries me, but it also impresses me that he stays active with his counters. He uses his body. Like he uses his, his physical strength to kind of get where he wants. He never really gives up on a play. Now you got to be worried about if he over dribbles and gets in a habit of that, because that's just not going to fly if you're struggling to get by guys all the time. So we'll have to keep an eye on that moving forward, but I definitely like the way he plays. And I just think he's this type of guy that could be this physical, you know, you want to say slasher. We would like to see him cut better, you know, like you're saying, Nathan, but I definitely think there's a role for him. And I think you're going to want to watch him moving forward to see if he gets a g- upcoming game against a stronger defender or how he, how he keeps it going. Because like I said, the, the shot making when he's smothered, he still gets some really good like looks like he battles yeah. to get where he wants and make some really tough shots, whether it's, you know, being patient, getting in the lane, taking a little fade away from the middle of the key. Like he has that touch. He has some really nice ability around the basket. So I'm a fan. I, I think he's going to translate. I think he's going to start trending up some boards in a hurry. Eventually, there's going to be enough on tape to the point where he's going to answer those questions one way or the other. Am I, am I a little concerned about the type of score that he is translating to the league when he doesn't have that next level burst, that next level step, when he's most effective with the ball in his hands, but he doesn't have some of those other physical tools to go along with it? I'm a little concerned, but if we see enough on film to the point where those, we, we kind of have to answer those questions in a positive way, then, then yeah, I think sky's the limit for his draft stock. I can absolutely see him being a lottery type prospect 100%. So that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Everyone out there listening, thank you so much for showing your support to draft deeper to no ceilings. Tyler, I leave it to you every single week plug our damn newsletter tell everyone where they can find us how they can find us we're at no ceilings.substack.com it's absolutely free please sign up you guys are missing elite coverage and it's absolutely free like i just said so uh also all social media handles we're at no ceilings nba nathan i'm having a blast doing this with you every monday please subscribe because Nathan's column every Monday is on fire and you guys are missing fantastic coverage. So thank you, Nathan. I love to do this with you. I quite literally pour my heart and soul into those columns every Sunday night. Blood, sweat, and tears go into those things, man. So any support is definitely appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Find all of the podcasts on our No Ceilings Podcast Network at our link tree, L-A-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash no ceilings NDA. Stay tuned this week. It's going to be a wild ride. Bu- buckle up, everybody. Chad Ford's coming on my show, and we're, we're, we're going to compare big boards a little bit. I'm going to grill him about some of the things on his big board. I'm sure he's going to have some takes about where I have some guys on my big board. So the father of NBA draft big boards the, the, that's really the only thing we can do the podcast about, right, Tyler? Given that exactly. the, the no ceilings composite big board will likely be out by the time you're listening to this podcast. 
the father of big boards is going to be on this. It's just all big boards this week. That that's just what we're doing. Who knows? Maybe maybe we'll have a mock draft week coming up soon as well. That would also be a lot of fun. But stay tuned to No Ceiling. Stay tuned to my podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much for tuning in.